This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm coming to you from a very chilly Colorado, but my guest today looks like it's quite warm where you are. Welcome, Sarah. So happy to have you here. I'm so excited to be with you. That's awesome. So um, why don't you just start at the beginning, take us all the way back in in kind of your journey and let us know where it all began. Okay, yeah, great. Um, I, uh, I, 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 when I was preparing for this, I was thinking back to my, my first sip of alcohol because that was such a pivotal part of the book for me. Um, and, you know, I happened to be 11 and it was a complete mistake. It was a complete and utter mistake. I didn't intend to drink alcohol. I didn't know it was alcohol. I was at a family wedding and my sister happens to be older than me. She's 10 years older than me. So she had had um, a cocktail, I, I guess. And um, it was really hot. And they give out these tiny, tiny little glasses at this wedding. And I was so hot and so thirsty. And um, I just, you know, I finished my, my soda. I guess I was having um, a soda. And I just took her glass from the table and immediately was just stunned uh, and scared because I knew, I knew what alcohol was, but I never had it. And I remember, you know, I was very little and I just remember feeling grossed out and sick, but also scared about having had alcohol, you know, illegally. And um, my parents happened to be teetotalers. teetotalers. They never, um, they drank back in like their early days on the cocktail circuit, but I, I never knew them as drinkers and they didn't really approve of it. So, you know, my sister was doing her own thing. Um, and I remember feeling awful and woozy um, fast forward though, when I went off to college and I actually studied in um, Spain, alcohol just became part of my life. And that's when um, I would say that I, I, I acquired the taste, as you say in your book. I acquired the taste uh, during college. Um, and then becoming a mom, I really felt like I started to drink more and I really settled on wine. And this mommy wine culture that we have created in our country, um, I was a part of that, you know, the mom's night out or, um, you know, every occasion had to have wine with it. Um, and I was a part of that. Uh, and, you know, I'd say by all, I guess, um, measurements, I never had an outward drinking problem. Um, I never had kind of the, um, the bottoming out experience. Um, but I knew that I was thinking about alcohol more than I wanted to be thinking about alcohol. And this uh, only increased after I had a miscarriage um, a year and a half ago. Mm. Ooh, um, that, that grief uh, really... Um, took me down Mm -hmm. and the alcohol just became part of my coping um sorry (laughs) that's all right um 
so the grief has has quieted you know it's still there obviously because I get sad um but even though the grief had quieted I was still drinking way more than I wanted to be and like I said not just drinking but thinking about mm -hmm. it um and uh it was annoying. <laughs> it was annoying, this craving, this thinking, it was bothering me. And then, um, you know, earlier this year, there were two occasions, usually I'd have two, maybe three glasses of wine, but there were two occasions where I had a whole bottle of wine by myself. And that was something I had never done before. And when the second, the second time that that happened, I was like, okay, this book, this naked mind that a lot of people have been talking to me about and that I actually already bought. And I've just resisted listening to it's time to listen <laughs> um and I had like you describe I had the light bulb moment about two-thirds of the way into your book and that's it and you know it's been three months but it might as well be three years or 30 years because I just feel that cognitive emotional break uh with this substance it's not a part of um, the life I want to lead, uh, and it's not a part of the life I want to raise my children in. Um, so I'm so thankful to you and to your book and your methodology. It's so uh, easy to uh, adapt to your life, um, and there's no judgment. Uh, I think I had a lot of resistance in the beginning because I thought it would be a lecture, and it's not at all. You're so honest and real and non-judgmental and I really appreciate that so thank you well that's awesome I think wow there's so much there Sarah I feel like I mean first of all just touching on the mommy wine culture it's one of the things that I find you know so sad because um as moms like we need a tribe you know we need the people around us and throughout all of history and in most other countries, like we've been very close in motherhood. Like the mothers have been close to the other mothers and the children all play together. And there's always been this sense of that. And it's so vital and so important. And I don't know when it was that alcohol got mixed up in that, you know, it was probably started in the fifties and just kept going. And, um, but I just want to say that like that stuff that we need is still so vital, you know? And I, I think that everything about like the mommy culture, if you just take out the word wine is so important, you know, it's, we're making all these reasons to get together, to pamper each other, to treat each other, to, you know, have some adult conversation, to have the kids play together so that we can actually like, it's all, it's all so important. And I, I guess, um, you know, from your perspective, it would be great to hear how do you maintain that while not partaking the wine part of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I, I feel like because we aren't so integrated as moms and we don't have such a close-knit tribe, um, I know motherhood, becoming a mother was a shock to me, especially I had left an international career and um, I was far from my work colleagues who were my friends and in a new environment and I felt so alone, so isolated. Uh, it took a lot of work, you know, years of work really to find new mom friends and not just 
friends because their children were the same age as my children, but friends with whom I connected on a real intellectual, emotional, spiritual level. It takes a lot of work to find. Um, and a few things that have worked for me uh, is to to really find those pursuits, those activities that I love and to connect with people maybe that you wouldn't think would be part of your tribe, but they can be part of your tribe. Um, so I take a dance class and now I have like my dance friends and I take a yoga class and I take my yoga class with mainly women in their 60s, some even their 70s. And they're this beautiful resource and example for me, these, these goddesses, um, and they're so radiant. And, um, you know, it, they're, they're, they're wonderful. They helped me a lot during my grief. <laughs> Sorry, that's so <clears throat> still coming up for me. Um, and then, you know, when I was reading your book and thinking about, um, you know, how am I going to manage mommy, mommy night out? Or, um, you know, occasionally I'll host things for a business I have. And what am I going to do? And I feel like I'd already been laying the groundwork for that even before the book because a couple of things that I had tried uh, as like themes for my parties that I was hosting were um, water infusions, like make your own water infusions. Um, and I love juicing. And so I had like a juice bar set up. And now the Christmas, um, you know, winter holidays are coming up and I'm already thinking about like um, make your own mocktail or something like that and having different sparkling waters and different juices and different garnishes and there's so much fun you can have with these alternatives and like you mentioned it's the drink the drink isn't why you get together you get together yeah. for the companionship for the connection um and why not why not forge those connections with your full mind and body so i'm, I'm excited i I don't, I'm excited to do this podcast because there've been very few people that I actually share this with because I don't want to be vomiting on people who aren't maybe open or ready to listen. Um, but I feel like living by example and maybe incorporating people into my world in this way um, is, is a good way for me to, to share my, my new outlook and my new approach. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's so true because the times that we've done something, you know, where we have something that just totally precludes us from drinking, for example, taking at our school, basically zoo field trip is like one of the most fun field trips. They do it in first grade. And so almost all the moms come. So we all have these ridiculously small little groups of maybe one, our kid and another kid. So we're basically like a band of moms and a band of kids around the zoo because everybody wants to go to the zoo for the field trip. I've and done that. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. Yeah. And it's somewhere where, um, you know, all the ingredients are there, all the moms are there, all the kids are there, but obviously it's a school field trip and nobody's drinking mm -hmm. and we have so much fun. And I think sometimes you just need a few of those times with like the same group of people. And even if it's moms you don't know, there's so much in common. We have so much to talk about. There's, you know, infinite things that you can just kind of get through and discuss. And I think it's just such a such a cool thing to have something that does interrupt the pattern. I love the water infusion and the juice bar and those sorts of ideas because, um, you know, the last thing I think 
I would ever want was for a mom who is very involved in the mommy wine culture to feel guilty about it. Because I think that really, it's just a call for us to connect with each other, right? And, and we've just, you know, that's, that's, I always say this, I say you, you can, you always have to have so much grace for yourself, because whatever you're doing in the moment, you're doing the best possible thing you know how to do with the most resources you have. So with everything that you have that you know is a resource, you're making the best possible decision. Nobody's going to try to make bad decisions for their health or their family or their kids or any of the above. We're just trying to make good decisions. You know, we're trying to do self-care. We're trying to hold it all together. We're trying to come into something and connect with other women. We're trying to provide our children friendships. And the tool that we've been given in our culture right now is that that is um, a wine play date, you know, or that's wine and women out for painting, or that's, you know, the mommy's night out or whatever it is. And it's just not a tool that's serving us. And so I guess it's just such an important conversation because so often I see things where, you know, you've got all the wine memes. Uh, I, my favorite was it's not drinking alone. If the kids are home, I remember giving that to my husband for, um, for, uh, because for the, he had to be home with yeah. the kids for a while. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, you have, you know, all these people saying, oh my gosh, the mommy wine culture, what are we doing? And like somehow the people who are just in the middle of it looking for the connection get caught up in having to make a decision. Do I think this is wrong or do I think this is okay? And it's like, okay, it's not even about any of that. It's just about recognizing that all we're trying to do is connect with each other and having grace for that. And then, you know, if it strikes you to make more mindful decisions, then like really doing what serves you, like listening to your inner voice, because I think that's, that's just the truth is it was, there was this voice inside me telling me for years and years and years that what I was not doing was not the best thing to be doing. And the more I ignored that voice, the more pain I was in. And the more I listened to that voice, I was yes, in more acute pain in the short term, but then really able to, you know, live in a much more authentic way over the long term. cognitive dissonance that you explain in the book, that was my life. That was the pain. Um, and like I said, having parents who never drank in front of me, and then as my child getting older and asking me about alcohol, and, and I'm feeling that pain in that pool and thinking about what I'm modeling for him. And, you know, here I am trying to live a very non-toxic, healthy lifestyle. And yet, I, you know, I've eliminated so many harmful things from my life. And yet, I'm poisoning myself nightly and really unaware. I was in such a state of unaware. Um, and I agree. I think a lot of the moms are just unaware. They haven't made all the connections. And for me, that's why this book was my light bulb because it made all the connections for me. Um, and there was no going back. Uh, and I want to share, um, you know, a, an environment where you know alcohol had always been a part of it it's part of the culture is going to concerts i love concerts i love music and i thought okay what am i going to do when i'm out you know at the concerts um and about i don't know a month or so after i made the decision um i went to see chris isaac and i happened to be in the front row and i hopped on stage and danced with him on stage and had time of my life the time of my life you know completely alcohol free 
uh, and I just felt so alive and felt so um, authentically me um, doing something so bold and so, um, you know, so uh, center of attention, right? I like just was overcome with excitement to do that. And, you know, I think back, like if I had had a few drinks, that whole experience would have been dulled. And, you know, I think of it now as one of the great highlights, the great concert going moments of my life. Uh, and I love that it's alcohol free. And I know that I'm, it's just the first of many. Um, so it's really exciting. Uh, and one thing else I want to mention, um, uh, last night was Halloween here. And wow, Halloween has become the boost fest. And I hadn't really been aware of that previous, um, but now with my eyes open, I see it everywhere. And um, it's really making me think about, about holidays, about celebrations, about how we do interact with children. And, you know, for me, I had a great time really reliving my youth through my children. And I was so glad to be fully present uh, and of clear head and mind. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering what drives that now. Uh, so it's a, a new phenomenon for me to realize and think about. Yeah, it's amazing. And I know we noticed that last night also. There was a few families with carrying wagons um, in the neighborhood, but the wagon was not um, a kid's wagon. It was a bar wagon. So like other parents could stop and get drinks. And then there was lots of lots of people with, um, you know, coffee mugs that were wine or, you know, not actually coffee. And I remember doing that trick-or-treating too. And I agree with you, like the difference between um, – my focus was really on, okay, who's bringing the drinks? Where are the drinks? You know, what am I drinking? How much is too much? Stuff like that from, you know, my focus in the Halloween's recently of just, oh my gosh, it's like, you know, this is fleeting. There's only a few years that our kids are really going to be into trick-or-treating with us before they're off on their own and just really yeah, reliving the excitement of of your own youth through it, which is just so beautiful. It's such a true point. It's really cool. Yeah, it was. The other thing that I really wanted to touch on that you talked about, um, and I just have to say that I think in your case, if I, if I understood your story right, it was really, you know, the heartbreak of a miscarriage um, that you found yourself all of a sudden with like a bottle of wine on occasion that you hadn't before. Um, and that point of when we start drinking for heartache, when we start self-medicating, that point is definitely physiologically, and there's a lot of science and studies that go into this, the point at which like really true addiction takes hold, the point at which our drinking relationship can become something that we never thought it could be and we never intended it for, for it to be. And it is really, I mean, I know for me, it was when my second son was born and my husband and I were both working a lot. I was traveling all over the place. I had a lot of trauma from that. We were not getting along well in our marriage and I really started using it to escape. And then things really changed. It went from, you know, take it or leave it to take it, take it, take it. And five nights, you know, seven nights a week, if, I, if there was a night where we were like, okay, maybe we should take a night off from drinking I was like filled with this feeling of panic and that I didn't understand because it wasn't there before. 
And um, I won't go into necessarily the brain science about it, but that is just for everybody listening. When you start to use alcohol to self-medicate, that is a very pivotal change in your relationship with alcohol. That's where you can go very quickly from, you know, really, really being able to take it or leave it and not thinking about it all the time to a point of very deep addiction where you don't even feel like the sun's going to come out if you don't allow yourself a glass of wine or a bottle. And so first of all, Sarah, I just say that like, wow, and kudos, and you must be very in tune with you because I feel like you really didn't let that experience steal from you any more than it already stole from you just by going through it, you know, because you almost use it as an awakening instead of a deadening. And I just have to say, I'm really, really impressed with that. I think that's really beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, it had become an escape. Um, and I was realizing, you know, I had this heartbreak, but, you know, I also have two other amazing children. And this escape was preventing me from being fully there for them. Um, and I have another mentor, a mutual friend of ours. She often will say things like, are you solving your problems or are you escaping from your problems? If you're escaping from your problems, you're never going to solve your problems. And mm -hmm. I realized that alcohol was part of it. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, we have, we go through these difficult things in our life and we want to take out positive lessons from them. Um, so that, that period of grief taught me many things. Um, but now I also see that it's, uh, been part of, like you said, this gift of living alcohol free and, you know, what an amazing gift to come from that heartbreak. So it, it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. And I think it's just, um, I mean, not only so self-aware of you, but it's such a cool thing for you to be able to share this story because I think not only, I mean, miscarriage is like, it's so tragic. And I think one of the most tragic aspects of it, obviously, besides the most obvious one of losing the precious child is that we don't talk about it. And I feel like it's very, um, there's almost a sense of shame around it. And, you know, it's, which boggles my mind. I, for the life of me, can't understand, you know, where that m might come from. But if we believe somehow our bodies failed us, and so then we feel like not worthy or in some regard, or there's, there's something going on there where we just, you know, don't talk about it like we should. We don't, we don't use the same level of like sisterhood around that. I think it's changing a little bit, but anyway, so I think it's just such a, such an important topic, especially really because when I would open up to people, I'd say 80% of the people I told, you know, women would say, oh, me too. Yeah. You know, that's happened to me as well. Um, and, you know, people who I didn't know had gone through that. Some I did. Um, and, you know, it's, it's something that I don't talk enough about. There's this weird taboo around talking about that and you know people don't even share that they're expecting for the fear that something might happen um so that they they can limit the number of people they have to tell that they went through that which is also 
an odd thing because you would hope that people that care about you are going to be there for you when you're both celebrating and when you're grieving. Um, so it, it's still one of those topics. Yeah, that's where it needs to change. Wow, you just, that really struck me because when I first got pregnant, you know, the doctor told me like, okay, well, don't tell anybody because if something happens, you know, you don't want to have to kind of unwind that. And I, I went and my husband's like, okay, that's probably good advice. And we kind of took it at face value. And then I remember thinking about it for like a day or two because I was like just excited to tell people. And I was like, wait a second, this doesn't make any sense. I was like, anybody who I'd want to tell that I was pregnant now, I would want to tell that I had a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, forget that. Like that makes zero sense to me. But I never thought to question it on a bigger scale because we're so, we have so much excitement. Like why shouldn't we be telling people? And if we were telling people, then we would have to be there for each other when, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I do feel like, wow, you just really uncovered almost a source of some of that heartache. It could change. Yeah, it could change the dynamic if, if people would share that they're pregnant when they're four or five, six weeks along. And I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I would have told people. their pregnancies earlier and maybe more people would be sharing if, if something did occur we could um, we could shift the way we support each other I don't know yeah because it's almost like predicting that if something bad happens I'm I'm already fencing myself in to go through it alone because you're not gonna tell somebody I was pregnant and miscarried that's gonna be a way weirder conversation you know that's than just simply you know, sharing with them the joy and then sharing with them the pain, but going into it and like, oh, I didn't even know you were pregnant. It's almost like you weren't, yeah, it's really interesting, really interesting. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's an odd evolution of how we go into protection about this amazing event. Um, I guess, you know, living, living from a fear place instead of a joyful place, we protect that information. Um, but it doesn't protect you from feeling the grief or the loss and the sadness. Uh, um, you know, I really relied on a lot of people. Um, so you not only do, yeah. does it not protect you, but it sets up a barrier exactly. for you to even have the conversation with anybody sets up a barrier to you feeling almost less alone. You feel more alone. So it's the opposite of protecting you. Mm. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. Wow. Wow. Deep thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this, like my mind is kind of blowing up right now with this whole thing because I, I've just been wondering, like, why is this something we don't talk about? But that's exactly why, because we're told in that stupid what to expect book not to tell anybody we're pregnant, right? Like, I mean, really, like, well, and people don't realize just how common miscarriage is, you know, and, and how conception really is a miraculous occurrence. When you look at all the things working against you, um, you know, the odds are not really in anyone's favor. And for any of us to be 
here today is amazing. Right. You know, we are all winners in the big lottery of uh, conception. So, um, yeah, we 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 should recognize um, that women carry carry this with them, um, whether they're trying or if you know it's maybe in their past. You know, I think so many women, if they would open up and have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation, they have a very similar, very similar story. Yep, so true. Wow, that was powerful. That's so good. Yeah. Wow. Well, I have um, one more question for you, and you know, it's the question I sort of ask of everybody. But you know, what would you tell Sarah from before the unaware Sarah, kind of about what life's like on this other side? Hmm. Oh, um, it's fun and free. Um, really, for me, I'm a, I'm a big thinker. I think all the time, you know, million thoughts all at once, all the time. Uh, and not having those thoughts about alcohol, like when, how much, where do I'm going to buy it? Is it going to be good enough? You know, will it, you know, will just always thinking about alcohol to not, I feel like I've freed up, di you know, space in my internal, <laughs> my internal hard disk. I've just like freed up a lot of space and I'm taking on more and new and better uh, projects in my life because I've, I've completely cut out all those thoughts and it's really liberating and, um, you know, no fear. There's no only upside. I mean, really there's only upside. Um, I lost weight, <laughs> you know, I identified with your story about that. You're like, I lost 10 pounds. I was like, me too. <laughs> awesome. um, there's only upsides. Uh, I save money, um, uh, more clarity. Like, like, like I was saying, talking about the concert experience, like I just feel like everything's a little bit more vibrant. Um, and, and just, uh, I feel a little bit more vivacious even, you know, and I think maybe I was, uh, I used to think, oh, okay, a glass of wine would help be a bit more outgoing, bubbly, and so forth, but I don't need that. Like, I'm, I'm funny, bubbly, and happy, and vivacious, and outgoing without, um, without alcohol. So, you know, no fear. Just, I should, I should, what I should really tell myself before is listen to this naked mind sooner. <laughs> don't. <laughs> Don't resist it for the four or five months that I put off listening. That's so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, is there anything else you want to add? Um, yeah, no, I just want to thank you again for walking your, your listeners, your readers through the process. It's, it's something like the, the same process that you lay out is something that I think can apply to a lot of different areas where I have resistance and things that I want to think about changing in my life so I'm excited for that um, and um, yeah I'm just I'm really grateful I'm really grateful to have this opportunity to, today to, to to share and chat about this subject so thanks again for inviting me yeah no it was great I really I really enjoyed it so um, well thank you so much I hope you have a, a really good day yeah you too Annie thank you so much this has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com 
And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word. Thank you.